Welcome to Dance Through the Lens, the podcast designed for parents whose children have a passion for dance. We understand the unique joys and challenges of supporting young dancers. And in this podcast, we'll share insights, tips, and heartwarming stories from fellow dance parents and experts. Whether you're a seasoned dance parent or just starting on this journey, join us as we navigate the world of dance together. Now, here are your hosts, Whitney Collins and Katie Hughes. Hey, Katie, how are you doing? Hey, Whitney, I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing so good, and I, I'm i so excited because today we're going to be sharing an interview with our first guest. It was so exciting to have the girls come and talk to me a little bit about their experience for the upcoming show. Yeah, so we're definitely in nutcracker season right now, and Studios that aren't doing Nutcracker are likely doing festivals or, you know, some kind of Christmas something. They've got something going on for the holidays. Correct. And I'm laughing to myself right now as you're speaking because I'm on a Facebook group for dance teachers and studio owners and dance educators. And I saw a meme yesterday and it said, I'm going to rewrite a royalty-free winter show called Relax Karen, Everyone Gets to Be Clara. Oh, that's so funny. I was laughing to myself because I'm in the middle of that right now. And I know how hard it is to be patient and to, you know, really understand like the nuances of casting and there's going to be a lead. Absolutely. I just, when I was a little kid, I remember like our dance studio, we had a Christmas recital and the whole, every song was obviously a Christmas song. And every single year, the little baby kids would do the Alvin and the Chipmunks, the really terrible Christmas songs from Alvin and the Chipmunks. And it wasn't anything, I mean, it was just a a way for the students to showcase what they had been doing that whole fall, you know, fall semester or whatever. But we actually were very close geographically to the Atlanta Ballet and they would do open casting calls every year and they would do open casting calls for, you know, some of the more minor roles like so party girls and the nesting dolls and, you know, it was a toy soldier. So if they needed kids to fill those spots, they would do the open casting calls. So fun. So tell me, did you ever go to one of those casting calls? I did. So a whole bunch of my friends, we got together and I actually, like, we didn't have podcasting back then. I don't even know how we figured out about it. I mean, there was probably an ad in the newspaper or something. So yeah, a bunch of my dance friends, our moms got us all together and we went up and we auditioned for the Nutcracker in that very first year. A couple of us were toy soldiers and it was just such a really cool experience. But, you know, none of us really had Clara dreams. I mean, they were saving those spots for their company kids. But even still, like, even though we had very minor roles, like, I remember dancing around my living room, pretending I was Clara, like, you know, just totally in my Nutcracker era. It was just the most fun thing ever. I love that. Yes. So my experience growing up with the Nutcracker is that the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater does Balanchine's Nutcracker. And so we audition every year and they cast internally through their training school. I was always very tall for my age growing up. So I was always cast in boy roles. I really delighted in it because it was acting and it was kind of fun, but I did always dream and kind of envy 
the party girls who got to have their hair in curls and wear the beautiful Victorian dresses, and especially Clara, because she had this beautiful pink dress and, of course, gets to travel through the land of sweets. Well, let's just back up for a second because the boy roles in The Nutcracker, I feel like all of those boys are a little bit mischievous. So I'm sure that was a lot of fun playing those roles. I just remember a lot of the male professionals, they always had like the most exciting, exciting parts in the Nutcracker, like the Chinese. And actually when we did the nesting dolls one year, the mom was a male dancer. And so he was on top of this big platform and he was just hamming it up. And it was just, it was a lot of fun to see the energy that they brought to those roles. Oh, I love that. Right. So Mother Ginger is typically played by a male identifying dancer. And it was really fun. I mean, we did over 30 performances each season. And throughout like the development of the show, as it would go on through the season, I just felt like we got to like get more and more into the acting. So we would have like a secret handshake as party boys. And I remember some of like the parents that would play the father roles in the party scene would like pick me up and carry me off stage. And it was just really fun. And I do feel like even though I I wanted to be in one of those pretty dresses, I really got a lot out of getting to be in non-traditional roles that I would have otherwise not chosen for myself. Yeah. And I can imagine that at this point, I know that your daughter has already, like their studio's already cast Nutcracker. And it's so interesting from like my perspective of being a dance photographer because I have clients from all over. Like I have studios or dancers from studios that their Nutcracker is done. And it seems like every weekend from now until Christmas, like somebody is doing Nutcracker or their Christmas show. So I know that you guys have already been going with, been going with the Nutcracker for a little while. And when is y'all's production? So we have two shows this year. Our first show is on Monday the 11th, and the second show is on Monday the 18th. Awesome. And what was the audition process like for your specific studio? So our specific studio has two companies. We have the main company that does kind of all of the genres and some pretty big uh, competitions. And then we have a ballet-specific company where that's really individualized training, we, they study variations, they get a contemporary, and they go to ballet-oriented competitions. Those students train very closely with the head of the ballet company, and that director of the ballet program assigns the roles only to ballet company members, and then any remaining lead parts go to company members in uh, seniority, and then the main like party scene and Paula Chanel and Soldier, those go to the ballet classes, whether they're rec or competition. So does the Nutcracker performance for your studio, does it include all the kids from the studio, like everybody's in the show? Everyone that takes the ballet class. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I like how different studios sort of adapt the Nutcracker story to fit their specific, you know, studio size or, you know, their specific style of dance. It's really neat to see how people take that and make it their own, especially considering 
that we're not locked into doing the Balanchine version of the Nutcracker. Like people can kind of take it and make it their own if they wish to, or keep it as traditional as they want. Whitney, I love that so much. So I love the evolution of Nutcracker and I kind of follow some people who have been writing about that and other adaptations, for example. There's, you know, some appropriation and misrepresentation in Nutcracker if we go to like the very traditional sense. And a lot of people are looking to work with the Balanchine Trust and different organizations to really have the Nutcracker be more inclusive and more modern. And so, for example, green tea or the traditional Chinese dance is now being kind of adopted by some companies to be like the grasshopper, which, you know, is a um, symbol from Asian culture that is like good luck, but it has a lot of like jumps and there's some really great costuming that's going on in that new iteration of, of that dance. I know for our company right now, one of the changes this year is that we have a boy class. So it's boys only. And instead of casting one of the ballet classes during the week, as soldiers, they gave the soldier roles to that boy class so that they can kind of have that camaraderie and that sense of belonging and ownership to that to that role. So I do love how it changes. I love how we can kind of reflect our own spin on things. So yeah, that's something I really love. And this might be going off on a tangent, but as like as I've become an adult and I look at the Nutcracker it's almost a little bit mind blowing to me. It's almost like in a in a in in a culture that is so concerned about appropriation and you know really just honoring other people's experiences and and making sure that we don't step on the toes of of other cultures. It is a little bit mind blowing to me that we still have like the Chinese dance and the Arabian dance and that like it just it is honestly a little bit mind blowing to me. <laughs> Yeah. And I love that some places have recognized that and worked really hard to start to have these traditional ballets to have a nod to the art, but really come into the present day as far as intentionality goes. So yeah, that's something I've been thinking about like as we're getting into Nutcracker season. And it's it's just going to be really interesting to kind of see the different adaptations and see how different studios modernize But what we've been talking about lately has been audition season. And I remember there was one year in the Nutcracker when we auditioned that I didn't get the role. I, I don't, I mean, I was a little kid. I was maybe, maybe seven or eight. This was actually the second year that I had auditioned. And I just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I was just being silly or if I got too cocky, like, oh, this is just going to be easy and I'm just going to get the role. I don't actually know. All I know is that that day I was auditioning for Soldier and basically how the audition would go is they would say quarter turn left, half turn right, full turn. And you had to like, as they were giving these commands, you had to, to do the thing. And obviously if you didn't know your left and right, well, you weren't probably a good fit for that role. Let me just say that I did know my left and right but that day, I, I just did not. And it was very disappointing because all of my friends that I auditioned with, they all were in the show. And I was the only one that didn't get a spot. And granted, I didn't earn the spot. But like that whole season, you know, they would all carpool and go to Nutcracker after dance. And I was the only one that went home. And it was, man, that was really tough. So like, 
as a parent, like how have you guys or how have you helped your dancers sort of navigate some of the disappointments of this season? There is going to be inevitably like there's disappointment, but there's also like so many opportunities. So one of the things that I talk about with my dancers, both my dancers that I are my daughters and others that are clients is the ability to hold space for more than one emotion. And so we talk about how you can be happy for your friends and sad for yourself. And both of them can be very valid. Being able to like recognize that you can have a dynamic feeling, you can hold space for both, both can be valid. And then we just always have like that open conversation. So like if we know casting's going to get posted at the end of the week, like talking about what does it feel like to sit with uncertainty without catastrophizing, you know, what is the worst case scenario for you? You know, what's the best case scenario for your friends? If the best case scenario for you happens, how can you accept graciously So really not leaving a lot up to chance as far as being surprised when casting's posted. Those are ongoing conversations. They're not limited to auditions. They carry through to placements and competitions, you know, and any time where there's any kind of like ranking. But I, I know my kids are, and my dancers are really, they have good hearts. They want what's best for the team, but they also want what's best for them because they're really hard workers. We just try to have as many open conversations as we can. And if your dancer is not going to be a pro dancer, I think that this is one of those things that will help them learn such a valuable lesson that will carry them through for life. You know, what happens when somebody gets something that I really wanted? You know, how do I act? How do I behave? And so I assume you probably have to coach them because to me, like, I know that I can feel sad for myself and happy for somebody else and maybe what that looks like, but how do you, do you coach them on, okay, like outwardly your actions, like this is what that looks like. Do you, you know, maybe this is in public, how you can handle this and and then in private, you know, these are more acceptable actions and things that you can do. Yeah. So, I mean, I try really hard to remove all labels of judgment when we're like navigating how we want to respond that feels like authentic and consistent with who my dancers want to be. So we talk about things like kind of um, if like you think of an X and Y, am I going too far into this? I don't know. I don't know where you're going yet. We talk, we talk about things without judgment. So I'm like, okay, well you get a bad casting and you say, oh, you know, or you get a casting that you weren't anticipating and you say, oh, wow, I feel I feel terrible. I feel badly. Instead of doing that judgment, that innate judgment bad or innate judgment good, I feel good. We try to explore that. We try to kind of expand upon that. So I talk about like, we'll talk about how your energy feels. Like I feel like I have like some moderate energy and my feelings are you know, pretty unpleasant. And then we scale them like zero to 10. What's your energy? I'm like a six, zero to 10. What's your pleasantness? I'm like a five. Okay. Well, what's a six, five. That could be, you know, I'm kind of feeling, you know, content 
for myself, a little disappointed, but I could feel another way too. So not necessarily saying like, I feel all or nothing. I feel good or bad, but like really exploring, like, I don't know. I have this like feeling of like moderate energy, moderate pleasantness, like I would call it content or I could call it grief or I could call it frustration or I could call it whatever it is, but exploring that and then being like, well, how do we want that to look outwardly to our friends? And how do we want that? How would we take care of that inwardly for ourselves? So Katie, when I was a younger kid and I was coming up through, you know, the dance studio environment, it was almost like we weren't even allowed to have negative emotions if we got second place, we weren't allowed to, to, to show sadness. Let me not say not allowed to feel it because we could, but you know, our dance teachers, our parents were always very much concerned with what our behavior looked like. But on the other end of that, when we got in the car, it was more of a suck it up buttercup kind of attitude of like, there was no help processing the disappointment and the, the sadness And I think today we as parents and coaches and teachers and adults really try to help children with the spectrum of emotion. Like you absolutely can feel this way. You can feel any way you feel because we don't have much control over our feelings and really help children process, you know, disappointment as well as excitement and and all of that fun stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, I did talk to, you know, our studio owner because I said, I understand that you want to have things be a surprise. And like, I think that some surprises are really great and I'm all for that. But I also need to be able to work with my dancer to manage her expectations and she can be surprised for herself and she can be surprised for her, for her friends, but it would be really great to be kind of able to kind of manage her expectations, especially since we're in a studio where we're not auditioning for specific roles. Yeah. And what was the response like? What what did they what did they end up doing with casting? Traditionally, from an outside perspective, it looked like everyone that had been classed as Kit Clara had been in sixth grade for a couple years in a row. And so it kind of just seemed like a sixth grader was always gonna get it. And so last year a sixth grader did not get it. The the little girl who was cast as Clara did a beautiful job, like not to take anything away. I mean, she was stunning as Clara. It was perfect. But that put two little girls, right, kind of like neck and neck this year in like the Clara casting run. And so that was kind of terrifying because they happened to be best friends. And so my dancer and I had conversations like all week, like if your best friend is classed as Clara and you are not you know, like what, what do you, how do you want to be a good friend? How do you want to come home? And how can I support you? And then if you are cast as Clara, that means your best friend's not going to be. And so like, how can you be happy for yourself, but also be supportive of her? Something that you said that I think is really so good is that you are coaching your dancer before the moment and helping your dancer navigate, if it goes poorly, this is what my behavior looks like. And if it goes the way I want it to, this is what my behavior looks like. And in both scenarios, this is what it means for the people that are closest to me, my friends. Our whole job as parents is to help our children navigate these scenarios 
and to help kind of coach them through so that they know how to deal with these types of things. Yes. And a lot of times we'll talk about like, if you do feel sad for yourself, like what can you look forward to when you're out of the public eye to take care of yourself? And so we'll already have that plan in place well before the results are even posted. So, all right, if we don't get, you know, the, the optimal casting, like we can go home, we can watch a movie. Where do you want to go and eat? Um, you know, how can I support you? Let's just put on your PJs. Let's do a girl's night you know, stay off of social media, that kind of stuff. So we already kind of have that plan in place. And similarly, all right, well, if you do get, you know, the casting that you're looking forward to, how can we, you know, honor the work that went into getting that role? So I love that as a parent, you're really focusing on coaching your kid proactively and then holding space for their feelings and allowing them to feel the feelings and let the feelings pass. And whether that's, you know, giving them the space to to be sad and, and kind of helping them work through that or going out and celebrating, you're asking your dancer, what do you need in either case? And I am here for it and ready. And I just really love that because I feel like that has come a long way in the last 40 years. I do too. And you know, I'm, when I work with the college students in our perf department, they're really so creative in the ways that they cope, the ways that they, you know, respect their castmates, the ways they respect their craft, because ultimately our dancers, our performers are in a really unique position, especially when they're minors, because they have all the pressure from us parents, whether we intentionally put it on them or not, of our investment. This is, you know, this is how we choose to spend our evenings. We're driving them around everywhere. This is how we choose to spend our weekends, driving them around everywhere. This is where we choose to put our financial investment, our time investment. So they have all of that in them. And like we do it with a, with an open heart. That's what we want to do with our time. You know, it's voluntary, but they, but they, they're aware, like they're aware of what's going on. And then they have this thing that's a result that is actually completely out of their control at the end of the day. So they can put on all of the work, they can do the best that they can do. But at the end of the day, to get that ultimate casting result, that's not within their control. So really working on knowing what's within your control, what's not in your control, being okay with a little uncertainty, and then knowing that your feelings can be valid, they can pass, we do some visualization, we do mindfulness, we do guided imagery, we do toolbox building. But yeah, I mean, auditions are an important part of life. They're, they're really great learning tools if we use them as such, as learning opportunities, because there's always another audition. And what I loved so much about the interview that everybody's about to hear right now is kind of how the girls were talking about, and I don't want to get too deep into it because we're about to play it for everybody, but you know, the girls were talking about, I was really sad at first. And then I realized that not getting what I wanted in that moment helped me by X, Y, Z. And they were able to retrospectively see like the growth that had taken place in, you know, in the time that they didn't get the role or whatever the case. And I think that that is such a mature, like, gosh, I'm almost 40 and it's, 
you know, it's hard for me to not get what I want in the moment. And then to be able to say, oh, I'm so thankful I didn't because it allowed me to do X, Y, Z before the opportunity showed up. And I was actually more ready for it because I had gone back and done the work. 100%. I mean, super lucky because the two little girls interviewed are remarkable kids and they're really supportive and they do have a like very mature outlook. But, you know, also being able to talk about it, I'm always a you know, proponent of the more the merrier. Talking about these things creates a culture of resiliency, of being happy for each other. And I really, truly believe that working together, working hard together, putting in the work, it helps it. I, from what I see, it helps others be happy for their friends because they know how hard their friends work. And so, you know, when we're doing trainings, when we're going to intensives, when we're working with outside coaches, I am not secretive about that because I want people to know how hard we're working so that when we do get these great results, it's not a mystery. It's this is the work that went into getting that result. And I think it does help people share in that joy. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and hop on over to your interview with Quinn and Libby. So you do a lot together above and beyond regular classes. Is that right? Yes. And you ladies have some pretty high goals for yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you compete against each other directly. Directly. Probably a lot of the time, like Quinn would go and then I would go or I would go and then Quinn would go. Yeah, it's usually, our numbers are usually right after each other. So it's kind of like, sometimes I wish it was like, uh, Livy, then somebody else, and then me, so we can like both celebrate each other. But it's kind of just like Livy goes on, she goes off, I walk on. Because sometimes I feel kind of bad because at ballet competitions, I remember the moment because last year Quinn did graduation ball as her variation, and after she walked off the stage, I was just walking on the stage, and I felt really bad because I couldn't like come and congratulate her after her solo because she does such a great job. Like, sometimes we're in different divisions um, because of styles. Like, at um, main-based dance competitions, there's usually, like, the tap um, section, which I'm not as much as a tapper as Libby, so I don't really do any tap solos, where um, maybe I have a lyrical number, Libby's in the tap section, so we both get to have our own, like, winning accomplishment in that yeah. category. But sometimes it's right, right, like Livy, you said, right next to each other, one on, one off. I like, I can't even imagine what it was like, right? Like you said, you can remember that moment. So how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like when it comes to placing and if like we all obviously kind of want to win, get a scholarship or whatever, so, like, if your friend places and then, like, you don't, I know, like, you can feel sad for yourself, but happy for your friend at the same time. So, it's not, like, the end of the world. I would just say, like, congratulate your friend. But, like, if you get into the car whatever, like, you can feel free to, like, be sad for yourself. Just make sure that you, like, encourage your friend and don't be, like, a bad sport about you not placing. And sometimes, like, you think in your head, like, why didn't I win? But it's kind of like, if you didn't win, it's not like the end of the world. Yeah. Because your best friend won. 
and that's still an accomplishment. I also feel like, um, I feel like Libby and I have had past experiences. Like, I had my solo and, like, all, like, all year long, I kind of placed above Libby. And then Libby all year long, like, kind of placed above me the next year. And then the next year, it was, like, on and off. Like, Libby would place at one, and then I would place at the other. So it kind of just goes back and forth between, like, what the judges want to see, because every judge has, like, a different opinion. It's really helpful, too. It sounds like that you both know how hard you work. And that's really validating. So what are some tips that you would give other dancers who might have to compete against their friends this season? Don't become too competitive because then like your friendship will um, be like fractured or something because of that competitiveness. You can win, but you can't be like, oh, Libby, I know that I'm going to win. And, you know, you know, you shouldn't even compete. You know, you just have to kind of stay positive because you never know what the results are going to be. Stay positive. I like that. What about you, Livy? What's the advice you would give? Um, the advice I would give was probably whatever you do in your competition, if it's just ballet or just competition, I would encourage you to like always go backstage with your friend, maybe like carry their water for them like after mm-hmm. their solo. I remember at ballet competitions, my friend Sienna, and she has a paw with Corbin. And I would, like, hold her water. And when she comes off for her next part, I would hand her her water. She would drink some. I'd be like, you okay? She'd be like, yeah, just a little bit tired. And then she would go back on. And then we would just have the end. She would come back off. We would go back to the dressing room and, like, celebrate. Sienna is one of my really good friends, too. And I would always just say, you just got to be there for them. Even if you didn't have the best day in dancing, you just have to always like stay positive. Yeah. Leave it on the dance floor, right? You work really hard every day. You go to the competition, you do your best, but after you compete, then you just focus on being a good friend and a good teammate. And it sounds like that's something that comes really naturally to you ladies, but also it sounds like something that you've really thought about and really worked hard to like live and set the example. I love that. I remember Livy when we would get ready for you guys to go on for your solos, you'd be like, okay, guys, I'm ready. Come on back with me. And you'd invite your friends to come back with you. And like, you guys would just do such a great job, like holding presence on the backstage for one another. And I think that's like a really beautiful pre-competition tradition that I've really admired in you two ladies. Another fun thing to do at dance competitions is it's also fun to like run back and forth, like, if, like, your dressing room is all the way at the end of the hall and the competition is, like, really far away, or if your dressing room is, like, really close and there's a secret passageway, then it's also, like, really fun to, like, run and be like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be late, even though that you won't be. It's just, like, a fun thing to do. Another thing that Libby and I like to do is we'll, like, take our phones and we'll kind of walk around and we'll try to find, like, secret passageways to like go to the stage or something or kind of just explore a little bit but we always have our phones just in case something happens and um i feel like it's really encouraging too like when you have your friends in the wings and then maybe you're doing like a chane towards the wings or something and then you're like spotting the side you're like spotting your friend you see them like yes. smiling at you it's just like well yeah like if you don't have that much faith in your dancing at that point you can know that they have faith in you and that you shouldn't just like stop trying. 
I love that. So what I'm hearing is like you guys love to like run down the halls and find secret passageways and connect on the stage and create traditions and swim in the hotel pools and have your meals together. And so even though you guys do compete against each other, it sounds like really the majority of your experiences are making memories and just kind of like being in the moment, being kids. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, it's nutcracker season. What role were you hoping to get this year? Livy, what role? I really wanted to get Clara this year. Quinn, what role did you want? I really wanted to get Clara this year. Oh, man. All right. So what was it like knowing you both wanted the same role? Um, for me, I was like, well, I really want to be Clara, but if Quinn got Clara, I would still be happy because maybe like next year, like I would have been Clara the next year. Or like if I got it, Quinn would have done it next year. But the happy thing about wait, this- Wait, wait, no, 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 don't spoil it. You cannot spoil it yet. I have to say my part. But- since they both wanted the same role, it was kind of nerve-wracking because mm-hmm. if you, like, because we get a casting list every year and they, like, hang it up on the mirror. So if you walked in and you, like, saw your friend's name instead of yours on the board. It's kind I of mean, like. It's kind of like. Hope broken. Oh, like that feeling when you get on an airplane, when you go too high and your stomach kind of just, like, drops. And what happens? We We both both got got Clara. Clara. You both got Clara. So you guys have been double cast as Clara. Super wonderful. It might not always work out like that, but this year it did. What did that feel like? Um, It's kind of fun because now Livy and I get to like share the excitement of the role. And it's also now we kind of get two featured roles because in one show, um Libby's Claire and I'm the lead angel and then in show two I'm Claire and Libby's the lead angel so it kind of gave us um instead of like one role it kind of gave us two to work on and we get to like experience us both being Claire and having like the same experience with it how about you Libby well I kind of I feel um the same way as Quinn does because if we both get to share something together that we have never gone to experience before, it's like you're not going through it alone. You're getting to do it with one of your one of your best friends. And it's kind of like something where maybe like your first time on a plane or something, you're like really nervous about like what would happen or something. You have like your family there on the plane with you. Like, they won't let anything bad happen to you. Not like anything bad's going to happen on stage, (laughs) but it's just nice to know that somebody's coming with you. Yes. I love it. As Quinn's mom and Livy, you know, I call you number five. I love watching you both being able to, like, have the joy of the Nutcracker and, like, see it through each other's eyes and have that support and the camaraderie and someone to, like, celebrate with. So... I think it's really been very special and it was the best result. Yes. Very smart casting there. Do you ladies have any advice for Clara hopefuls? Um, I would say even if you don't get it or I know that like everyone wants to be clear at some point in their career, 
I would say even if you don't get it, like it could just mean that that's not like the right role for you. And your dance teacher like knows what role is going to be the best for you. Because maybe you're like the best jumper ever. Then maybe um, the soldier doll would be the best for you because the soldier doll might have a lot of jumps in the thing. Or maybe your turner, should they give you the um, doll? Or maybe you're like a complete acrobat, so they give you the Arabian lead role or the Harley Quinn doll. It really just depends on what you're the best at and what your dance teacher thinks that you can make the best. Because the dance teacher does not want to see you fail on stage. They want to see the best of what you can do. And I agree with that too, but I have one more thing to add. So for everyone who, who wants to be Clara in their lifetime, or just maybe if they a very big dream would be to be in like the New York City Ballet and be Clara. That's a really big opportunity. Or the Radio City Ballet Vaquette Clara. That's another one. That's mm-hmm. really big. But just some wise advice would be if you don't get the role that you wanted to, like I've been thinking, so last year, if I got Clara last year, I probably wouldn't have done the, done the best job with it because that was probably only a year and a half of me being on point. So I probably would have wanted it to be this year more because our dance teacher, Miss Lindsay, we love Miss Lindsay, she's the best. And if she was probably thinking like, well, she's only done it for a year and a half and I know she would be disappointed that she didn't get it, but... Like, she'd be even more disappointed if she got it and then didn't do it like the way she's been thinking or like didn't do it to the best of her ability. She'd be sad that she didn't do that. Because somebody else, I mean, like other people need a chance to do that role too. So like mm-hmm. they wouldn't give it to the same person like next year just so we could do it again. So I'm glad that I got it this year because I feel like I'm more, way more experienced than I was last year. So yeah. And this year, we added on Clara's friends, so we get another dance being Clara. I'm really excited to do that. I love that. And so, Libby, your advice was kind of to trust the process and that even when you feel like you're ready for a role, if you don't get the role, to, like, talk about it with your teacher and hear what their expectations are for you and things that you can work and grow on, and then just keep keep trying. Yeah. that you enjoyed Katie's interview with Quinn and Livy. And I really think that it's just so special, the friendship that they've been able to maintain while also, you know, being really fierce competitors. So I hope you enjoyed that. And can you believe that this is already episode five of Dance Through the Lens? If you don't mind, it would be so helpful if you could rate and review the podcast on your favorite listening platform. Next week, we will be starting a new series all about social media and kind of the tricky place that we find ourselves in now where it seems like our dancers have to be a brand. So we'll be talking all about how to keep your dancers safe on social media as well as how to um, really create captivating content if you're doing it yourself. And um, we look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Dance Through the Lens. We hope you enjoyed this episode and found valuable insights to support your dancer's journey. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the future, 
please reach out. You can leave us a message at 912-376-9184 or email us at hello at WhitneyCollinsPhotography.com. We'll be back next week with more advice, stories, and inspiration to keep you and your dancer moving forward.